You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great, if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love it if you could turn to Exodus and chapter 2, Exodus and chapter 2. How many people here have seen the film Exodus, Gods and Kings? Oh, not many. Okay, a few. It's fine. I'm going to read the story. You haven't needed to have watched it there. Most of us would know the story of Moses, though. Most of us would think, oh, we could learn something from this. I feel it's fascinating that, that Edward's even asked, what area are you involved in in life? Because whatever we're doing, we can learn from this chapter. You don't have to work for the church. I mean, it could be you're involved in finance or schools or health or creativity. Colin Powell, the American statesman in general, said this, there are no secrets to success. It's the result of preparation hard work, and learning from failure. There's no secrets to success. It's basically the result of preparation. This chapter, we're going to suddenly learn one of the keys, I think, in Moses. If ever I think about Moses, I always think about parting the sea. I always think, don't you know about this sort of cosmic event, basically, where the waters part and the Israelites go through. They think there could have been a million Israelites going through. But actually, what happened? How did he prepare for that event? Most of us would know the quote from Benjamin Franklin, the American president, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. And sometimes we think, oh, golly, yeah, how do I prepare? This chapter, I believe, gives us the insight into how Moses prepared for what God called him to do. And I want to pull out some lessons that God is going to speak to us about how we can prepare for the task he's got for us. So I'm going to read Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go. She answered, and the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. And then there's a heading line, Moses flees to Midian. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? 
Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he said to them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses gave him the name Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Let's pray. Father, some of us have seen the film of this recently, and, and you know, brings a whole lot of details to our mind. Some of us have read this passage many times. Some of us, it may be the first time we've ever read it. God, we ask that you would speak to us. We believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe whatever we do in life, this has got stuff we can learn from and feed upon, be changed by. We thank you so much this morning that you have spoken to us of your love. Now I pray you'd really speak again into our hearts and our mind in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm talking, we're starting this series on Moses, Moses made for more. And I'm starting this morning by looking at the big picture. How did Moses get prepared for what God had called him to do? How could you get prepared for what God has called you to do? Well, the first thing I want to say is this. Moses gets prepared by seeing the bigger picture. The danger is that we look at something like this, and I can be like that, and we try and dissect it, and we think, how does this passage make sense, and how do I understand all this? The, the, the Israelites, when they would have read it, or when they would have understood it, would have seen loads of pictures there. They would have realized that it's almost like this came on the back of the whole thing of Genesis. They didn't just jump into this. We know that Genesis starts with God creating the world in perfection and enjoying a relationship with man and woman. We know that tragically sin entered and relationships were spoiled. Husband and wife argue. Brothers kill one another. We know that God is so disappointed that he then floods the earth. Another film was made last year, Noah, about the, the eight that were rescued We know that then God chooses a guy called Abraham and promises to make his family into a great nation that will bless the earth. And that then that promise is passed on to his son, Jacob, who then has 12 children, one of which is Joseph. We know that actually Joseph gets dragged down to Egypt, that he becomes prime minister 
and therefore the rest of the family go and find him. So this whole story fits into that big picture. And in some respect, that's just the, the historical facts. But if we really look at this chapter, there are so many pictures in there that God is saying this is connected to the big story. I've never known a parent that says, look at my baby, isn't he ugly? I mean, let's be honest. Every parent thinks, man, what a girl's doing. And, and let's be honest, if you're not yet a parent, let me give you a tip. Whenever you look in the pram, you just go, oh, wow, they're beautiful. You don't say, oh, golly, they've got a big nose. It just doesn't go down well. Here, we know that Moses' family was saying he was a fine child. Were they just biased? Was it just, oh, they were thinking, oh, well, everyone thinks they've got a fine child. Actually, what they reckon is that 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 was a phrase that it was like, and he was good. And they reckon that the book of Exodus is really parallel to the book of Genesis. And that when God created in Genesis, he said, this is good. And it's almost like the start of humankind. And in the beginning of Exodus, when they look at the child and they go, he's good, it's the start of the nation. You see what I'm saying? So actually what, what Moses would have understood and what the people have understood is this was something much bigger. It wasn't just about one child. The term, we know it's a papyrus boat that he was put into. Actually, they say the term that is used in the passage is exactly the same as Noah. It was used, I think it was 26 times in Noah, and I think it's used twice here. Exactly the same word. And so when you read this introduction, what you suddenly realized is, hey, do you remember Noah? Do you remember what God did? This is all part of the big story. So it wasn't like, oh, suddenly there's this little boy Moses, and what's going to happen? It's like, no, actually Moses is part of the big story. Moses is part of creation. Moses is part of Noah. I mean, I... I, Oh, I, I, I'm going to run out of time. I know that before I even start. Because this passage is, is packed with understanding of the big picture. I don't know if you, you picked up about it, but when he flees, where does he go? Midian. Well, who was it that took Joseph into Egypt? It was the Midianites. You see, so he's part of this whole big picture that God is doing something. It's almost like the Midianites took him as a slave and took him into Egypt. And now actually, who's taken him out of Egypt? It's the Midianites. You see, there's this connection. You might not even have picked that up. But when he gets to the Midianite place, what what does he do? He sits by a well. Well, who done that? The servant of Abraham. When he said, go and get a wife for my son, he went and he sat by a well and she came out. What happened to Jacob when he ran away from his mother and his father because he stole the birthright? What did he do? He sat by the well. And so if you looked at this, you would have suddenly understood in this story not just a few facts about a child being born. You'd have understood that there was something massive and part of the big story. I mean, this whole, the whole word exodus, it means to lead out, to uh, uh, an exit, We know that this whole thing is like God is about to do something massive. Again, I think, how many details do we look at? The fact that a child was born in difficult circumstances often was a God divine thing. If you look at that throughout the Bible. We know that Abraham couldn't have a kid. Yeah, He had Isaac. And what did Isaac stand for? He stood for something of the covenant of God. 
We know that there was someone else who struggled to conceive and then they had a child and the name was Samson. And Samson was a deliverer of the people. We know about Ruth and Boaz, don't we? The disgrace of Naomi not having a son or grandson. And then Ruth has Obed. And Obed is the grandfather of David. And there's a picture of the kingship of the Old Testament. We know about Hannah who's desperately praying in the temple, God, give me a child. And Samuel comes along who's then a picture of the priesthood. And so it's almost here, isn't there? This, this, I, can't, I can't have missed it, can I? Which other child do we know came in difficult circumstances? Jesus. I mean, the mother's not married. God's going to do something massive. And so it, when we, even before we get into this, what we've got to realize is Moses, part of his preparation was understanding he was part of the big picture. And I think that has got to be true for us. How do we understand our lives? Do we think, well, look, I'm here to do something on banking? Am I here to do something on education? Am I here to do something on health? Or am I part of the big picture? You know, do we just think, oh, well, Redeemer, we're just a, a church in Ealing that's trying to make a difference? No, we think we're part of the big picture, don't we? We think we're connected with this great story. I mean, that to me is the privilege of it. You think the preparation for understanding my life and what God is going to call me to do, I've got to see the big picture. It's not just about, oh, Pete, who lives in Hanwell, who is married to this woman way out of his league. It's not the small details that are important. It's the big picture that's important, isn't it? You think this is understanding it. Do you understand your life as part of the big picture? I think if we look at the Bible, there's this huge... I mean, there is one story that goes the whole way through, isn't there? If you're going to be prepared for what God is going to use you for, grasp it. If you're not a Christian, and somebody said today, I mean, basically, we just understand that, hey, God has got this whole story going on. We'd like to get involved. Basically, we're saying, hey, take me out of just my small thinking I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Please let me live for you. Let me be part of this big story. So I think that would be the first thing if I had to draw a lesson out. And first thing, if you want to understand preparation, what God has called you to do in your life, understand you're part of the big picture. What's the second thing that I want to put out of here? How do you get prepared? You appreciate history. Appreciate history. Why do I say this? Because I think right at the beginning, before Moses does anything, there's an appreciation of what's happened to him or how God has protected him. I would just like, first and foremost, to say it's women that are at the forefront of this. If you think about, you know, Exodus, I think about Moses. I think about Moses, you know, I mean, Charles Heston, maybe you've watched that film. You know, coming down with the tablets. It's, it's Moses that wants to purify the people and say, come on, let's go for God. No, but actually, Moses wouldn't have been alive if it wasn't for these women. The role of women is remarkable. Shippah and Puah are the two midwives that I mentioned in Exodus 1. We don't know who the Pharaoh was. That is one of the controversies about the film. Everyone says, oh, the name they've used was actually didn't come for another 150 years. I don't want to get sidetracked into the film. God didn't tell us who the Pharaoh was, but he did tell us who the midwives were because they feared God and they made a difference. We know as well about Jochebed. 
And you said, Pete, I didn't read that in there. I know, I've had a chance, I've read through. I think it's Exodus 7, Moses names his mother, which is Jochebed. And so actually, we know that she thought, I'm not going to give this child up. I mean, let's be honest, there was no insulation in those houses. There's several babies around now. You know what I'm saying? If you're a mum of a young child under three months, they cry whenever they fancy, don't they? Oh, no, please be quiet. I mean, you might just be in the flat thinking, oh, the, the rest of the flat. I wonder what it's like here. If they heard the baby cry, if they found it was a boy, they're going to kill him. But the mother was protecting. I mean, it's remarkable, isn't it? We know about Miriam, don't we? I mean, here she was watching this child as it's floating along the knot. Here she's approaching Pharaoh's daughter. And what about Pharaoh's daughter herself? She knows that her father said, kill the boys. She doesn't pick out this baby and think, oh, I'd like a baby. Oh, he's a cute one, isn't it? We're not yet into pugs, so let's just take babies. Now, I mean, that's, that's not our thinking. She understands that this is a Hebrew. And yet, obviously, God has done something. I, I tell you, it, it makes me, I tell you, it really makes me appreciate the role of women. Makes me think, I just want honor and thank you for what you've done. We need you. We appreciate you. I believe that before we could almost get going on this, you had to look back and just say, God, I want to thank you for what you've done. He came from humble beginnings. I don't know if you think this. Sometimes I think the danger is we've read the Bible so many times, we forget this. It says in the first thing, he was a man of the house of Levi. Now, what do you know about the house of Levi? Most of you say, well, they were priests, weren't they? But actually, if you read just a couple of chapters before, they weren't priests now. In fact, when Jacob is sort of finishing his days and speaking over his kids, what does he say over the Levites? He says, you guys are a bunch of sinners. And the way God judged people that were sinners, he said, I'm not going to gather you together. I'm going to separate you. And so it's almost like he grew up. It would have been a rough state. He didn't say, oh, I'm a Levite. Oh, golly, you're a Levite. That means you're under the curse of God and you're going to be spread. We know that he had humble beginnings because he was abandoned. We know his humble beginning, adopted, would have felt strange in his family. And yet I believe he appreciated all that God had done because despite all of this, and, and there's so many passages I'd love us to look at. Trust me on it. I think it's Acts 7 when Stephen is about to be stoned. He gives us some details about this. We know that 40 years takes place in the first 10 verses. 40 years. He is then in, in the palace. He would have belonged to royalty. I mean, you think of how he'd appreciated that. I was, I was just thinking about this. You, know, you could imagine Jochebed going for a walk with a pram. I'm sure they had prams in those days, you know what I'm saying? And people would have come along and said, oh, what a lovely girl you've got. What's her name? And she'd have said, oh, Moses. Moses, that's a boy. You shouldn't be out with a boy. If everyone knows you've got a boy, they're going to throw him in the Nile. The whole nation was meant to kill the boys. And she said, oh, but they can't touch this one. Because Pharaoh's daughter is protecting this one. This one's royal. You know what I'm saying? I wonder if he grew up with an appreciation of what God had already done in his life. It tells us in Acts that, Acts 7.22, he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. 
do we grow up and thank God for all he's given us? You may have had a difficult start, but are you genuinely thankful for what God has done? Before you think about how I'm going to prepare for the future, are you thankful for what God's already done in your life? I think, oh God, make me like that. I know my grandparents prayed for me every day. I think, God, I want to thank you for that. I know my parents pray for me every day. God, I want to thank you for that. What do I thank you for? I mean, there could be anything. I was going to say, you can make stuff up. You don't have to make stuff up. You can thank God you got free grapes this morning before you started. The coffee was free. Thank you. Thank you, I've got a room that I could meet in. Thank you, I've got a Bible that I could read. Thank you, I've got a band that could stir me in worship. Thank you, I've got somebody else here that's interested in me. Thank you, God, you've spoken to me this morning about a solid place for me to put my feet. I tell you, if we want to prepare for what God's got for us, we've got to understand the bigger picture. We've got to be grateful for what God's already done. I don't know all the details of your life, but I tell you, give me an hour with you, and I'm sure we could write a list. I do this myself. I'm, you know, I'm learning all the time. I do journal. This week I felt in my journal just to write a list. Oh, what can I thank God for now? Because my danger is at the beginning of a year, I'm often thinking, where do I want to go? And I think, what do I want to do? And I think, actually, if I'm going to prepare for the future, I want to thank God for what he's done in my life already. Okay, so we're thinking about Moses made for more. We're thinking that part of his preparation was understanding the big picture. Part of his preparation was thanking God for what he'd already done, an appreciation. I think part of his preparation was God working on his character. And I'd like to run out of time now, and I'd like to say, everyone be blessed and go home, because I think this could be a challenge. Muhammad Ali... He was the boxer when I was a little boy. Everyone, you know, I fly like a wasp, I sting like a bee. You know, I always wanted to be Muhammad Ali. He used to say this, I run on the road before I dance under the lights. I run on the road before I dance under the lights. There's hard work to be done. There's a sense of preparation. Venus Williams, the tennis star, says, In the sports arena, I would say there is nothing like training and preparation. You have to train your mind as much as your body. There's almost like this sense of, golly, how do I prepare for what God has called me to do? I think this is a massive challenge for us. What about our character? Well, I I like to pick out the positives first. I tell you what I think Moses had in his character where God could use him. He loved standing up for the underdog. He, he felt like he had a heart of care. Yeah? Although he'd been used, to, just, just go with this for a while. We know that he'd been used to luxury for 40 years by the time he gets to verse 11. Stevenson tells us that. 40 years. But after 40 years of still having the finest food and the best entertainment, 40 years of being, knowing how to be a prince and govern an army. 40 years of seeing how people built temples and built structures and ruled things. After 40 years, he was still out watching his people. Watching his people. It says he identified them as his own. It says that in verse 11. And then it says it again, twice. One of his own people. I don't know if he was afraid when he was looking around or whether he was thinking, come on, somebody's got to stand up for this. If no one's going to intervene when this Egyptian is beating this Hebrew, who's going to do it? Well, if no one's going to do it, I'm going to do it. It's almost like I want to have this heart of care. 
And then even like he's done this, he doesn't hide in the palace. He's back out amongst these people the next day. And in some respects, it's almost this prophetic picture, isn't it? Two Hebrews are fighting. He says, come on, guys. Again, it says he challenges the one who, who's done the wrong. He's there standing up for the underdog. He says, well, don't, you know, why are you doing this? And he turns around and says, who are you? Make us judge or ruler? And obviously, that's what God had called him to do, but they didn't understand it then. And then even later on in the chapter, despite the fact that standing up for the underdog meant he had to run for his life, despite the fact standing up for the underdog meant that Pharaoh wanted to kill him, what happens? He sees these girls get pushed to one side at the well, and he thinks, I can't watch anymore. And so he gets up and he confronts the shepherds and says, that's not fair. These girls were here first. Back away. I'm going to water their flocks. You see, something in his character was, God, you've put something in me to care for those that are weak or vulnerable, abandoned. What about us? Are we like that? If we're really honest, the challenge is if we feel we're getting prepared, we often want to push somebody else down so that we can get up. But that's not the Christian way, is it? We know about Jesus himself. Paul writes to the church in Corinthians. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I tell you, hearts get easily hurt. I cared and they walked all over me. I gave and no one said thank you. I tried my best, but it wasn't good enough. If you want to be prepared for what God is calling you to do, keep a soft heart that says, I'm going to serve those. You see, we believe in Moses. I believe in this story here that he knew what it was to have this heart of caring, of paying the price. You see, in his heart, he understood something of humility. I don't know about you. I mean, I often try and imagine what it'd be like if I was Moses. I mean, just imagine, you know, this one's getting bullied. I've stepped in. I've killed the Egyptian. You know, the next day, I'm not quite sure, but I may have even had a cape on. You know what I'm saying? Moses, superhero. <laughs> yeah, I stand up for the Hebrews. I identify with my people. And his own people reject him. That's humbling, isn't it? His own people say, who, who made you boss? Who made you to judge us? Moses, then, the, the guy that he's probably called father, tries to kill him. I mean, it's a huge challenge, isn't it? If we're prepared, so often we want some acceptance. We want some recognition. And what do we learn from Moses? As part of his preparation, he had to deal with humility. We know in the story that he acted the wrong way. Stephen tells us back in Acts chapter 7 that Moses realized he was called to deliver his people. But he did it the wrong way. He killed one person. God did not want him to kill one person to save one other. God wanted him to, to liberate a whole nation. He had to learn the lesson that he wasn't thinking God's way. He had to learn the lesson that he was doing it at the wrong time. I mean... I, I don't know how long you found the passage. 
Do you know it covers 80 years? We know that by the time Moses goes back, which is after chapter 3, which I'm doing next week, so I won't say too much, but literally by the time he goes back, 80 years has taken place. Some would say because he rushed into the task too soon, he spent another 40 years waiting as a shepherd. There's something about humility. There's something about paying a price. There's something in his character. Again, doesn't that point to Jesus Christ? It tells us in Isaiah he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. I tell you, if we're going to do something for God, we've got to be prepared to be humbled and to pay a price. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian at the end of the Second World War, who ended up being hung in a concentration camp with piano wire, said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. There's a sense of challenge, isn't there? We can see that here. Preparation for what God's going to call him. He was having to die to himself. What else do we discover about his character? How else was he prepared? He learned something of patience. We know from Deuteronomy 34 that when Moses died, he was 120. I've just told you that he didn't start work until he was 80. That was two-thirds of his life. So I'm a numbers guy. I just can't help. You know, I found out the average age in the UK is 81. So two-thirds of the average age in the UK would be 57, would that be right? Someone's going to sit there and do it and say, oh, Pete, you've got your numbers slightly wrong. I'm pretty sure. So if we did the life of Moses today, anyone here who's under 57, we're never going to trust you with anything because you're still in a preparation phase. We don't like to think like that, do we? If we're really honest, we, we want to burn now. And I love that. I love the fact that we want people to lead us that are in their 20s. I'm not saying that we're going for only grey-haired folk, although I think there's nothing wrong with a few grey hairs. You know what I'm saying? But what we're trying to say is, he discovered that it was something about God and not about himself. He discovered that actually it's God's time. And actually, if we're going to do something for God, we need to wait and see what he's going to do. How do you find waiting? Oh... I hate it, don't you? Margaret Thatcher used to be the prime minister. Like her or not, she was a very strong woman. She said, I'm extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own way in the end. I'm not quite sure that's the way we're meant to be waiting. Actually, I think we need to wait with some kind of humility. God, what are you going to do? How's this going to work? Joyce Meyer says, patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. Are we those that genuinely humbly wait before God until he will use us? So then I want to quickly finish on actually, how do I be really practical on being prepared for what God has called? I believe each one of us, God has got things called for us. I believe we're part of this bigger story. I believe we can be grateful. I believe that God will do things in our heart to keep us humble, to keep us uh, considerate and working for the poor. I believe that. How do you get prepared? How do you get ready? Well, I thought I'd use the acronym TIDE. Because, you know, thinking about water, Moses, hopefully it will be something that you will remember. We need to get ourselves ready for what God is going to use us for. 
Abraham Lincoln used to say, I will prepare and someday my chance will come. And so I want us to say, are we preparing ourselves for how God is going to use us? What does T stand for? To me, T is talk to God. If you think, actually, God, I'm not quite sure how you're going to use me, or maybe you are sure how God is going to use you, the best thing to do is pray. Pray. Talk to God. Tim Keller says in his latest book on prayer, Christian prayer is fellowship with a personal God who befriends us through speech. Whatever you're going to do in your life, whether it's in the arts, whether it's in media, befriend God through speech. How can you prepare yourself best for what God is going to use you for? Befriend him through speech. I, what would I say I is a practical thing? I would say I stands for invest. Invest. I would say if you're in financial trouble, invest and get yourself out. Yeah, for some of us, I've known people that said to me, oh, Pete, I feel really called cool to work for the church, but actually I'm in a huge stack of debt. And so he said, well, actually, how are you going get, to get yourself a plan and get out of debt so that you can honor God with your money? Maybe you've got to invest yourself in your marriage. And you think, actually, God, I really want to do something in my life. I know this is going to pay a price. Invest in your marriage. Go on a marriage day. How do you invest in yourself? We don't often preach about this, and sometimes I think I should do a whole sermon. I quite like to do it. How do you invest in your own physical health? I would like to bring such a sacrifice of praise to God on a Sunday morning that unless I've done some exercise in the week, I'm going to be sweating. And I, mean, I, I would love people to walk out of church and think, golly, my calves are really struggling after this morning. Man, it was great to come and sacrifice God. I think we need to prepare ourselves, don't we? Okay, what would I say do stands for? D, sorry, stands for do. You got the answer. Someone's listening. How do we prepare for what God... I tell you this, I would just do something. I would encourage you to serve right here, right now. And if you think, actually, Pete, I'm not quite sure what God's got for me. I believe that I am part of the big picture. I am grateful. I'm not totally sure. Serve straight away. I I would say do it. Don't wait. Don't sit back and think, I was suddenly going to... If you think, I'm not quite sure what to do, great. Get involved on setup. We need people to get involved on setup. You can think, hey, I'd love to be involved. Great. Sir, sign up right here, right now. Steve, who's going to stand, would love to have you sign up. And you just think, love it. <laughs> Look, I've got two volunteers already. They've both stood. Great. Is there a way of how we can say, hey, look, I could get involved. I could go and see Steve. I could serve. I tell you, don't wait forever. Do something now. If you don't give, give. If you've never been baptized, get baptized. If you've not told someone you're a follower of Jesus, tell them, invite them to the pizza this week. If you've not got accountable, get involved in a community group. Be accountable. Don't just sit back and do nothing. Do something. How do you prepare yourself for what God is going to use you for? E. What did I say E stands for? Explore. I think if you feel called to the nations, and I believe people will go from this church literally to the nations of the world, maybe you should go on a missions trip this year. Maybe you think, I need to explore that. I need to go and find out about that. Hey, it's no point suddenly thinking I'm going to give up this one day and I'm going to end up in Ecuador. I think I need to go and have a look at it. 
I need to go and talk to some people that are already doing it. I need to get around people that have already moved across nations and understand what it's like. How do we explore? How do you explore what it's like if you're going to be an artist? Go hang out with an artist for the day. How do you explore what it's like if you're going to be called in banking? I mean, we encourage our kids to do this. My son wants to be an accountant, so he had work experience, and he worked in a bank up in central London for two weeks. What a great way to explore. What's God calling you to do? My daughter wants to be a teacher. She goes to university to teach. Before she even gets there, they say, what experience have you had in schools? Go and do it. This morning when people stood, if you think, hey, I feel called to do that, go and talk to them. I always say this to my kids. I say it to myself. I say it to you. You play like you practice. Let's not write off and think, oh, one day something will happen. One day it will be my opportunity and I'll step up. You will only ever play like you practice. I used to love playing football. And the reality was you think, oh, if I wait until I get on the pitch and then I'm going to do it. Actually, if I hadn't been practicing hard, I couldn't do it on the pitch. You play like you practice. How do you know what God's called you to do? You can ask yourself some questions. What have you got a heart for? What are you gifted in? What door does God open for you? What has God said to you prophetically? I hope that we come out this morning and think, oh God, I want to be prepared for all that you've got for me. Mahatma Gandhi says this, a small body of determined spirit fired up A small body of determined spirit fired up by an unquenchable faith in their mission can alter the course of history. A small body of people of determined spirit fired up by an unquenchable faith in their mission can alter the course of history. You see, I think when I look at Moses and this initial start, how did he get ready? He understood the big picture. He he was grateful to God for his history. He knew that God worked upon his character. And I believe, and I've called it tide, I believe that actually God worked on his skills. We know that he was a shepherd and a prince, both of the things he needs for the rest of the book. But this is what I ultimately believe. The mission is God's. It's funny because as I'm reading this, it ends up, doesn't it, talking about God in verse 23 to 25. And I felt, I felt, oh, it's so clearly God. I thought, I can't say that. I said it last week. And God said, well, I've written it twice. Pete, say it twice. And I thought, okay. Fundamentally, whatever you give your life to, I believe that we want to get caught up in something of God, not of ourselves. As I say, when Moses tried to do it on his own, he set one man free. When he does it under God, he leads a million on a walk. And I think we've got to be those that say, oh, God, I believe that we're made for something more. Don't let me just think, what could I accomplish? What could I do? How could I get involved? Whatever area you're involved in, why can't you believe for God to do something? You know what I'm saying? You might be writing a song and you think, oh, it's just going to be one song that I'm going to sing at home. And, and actually, my bath times will be so much richer for this one song. Or you could think, I could do something with God. That could impact nations. People could be stirred by this. I think, how do we genuinely believe for supernatural in our life? 
hey, I, well, I, I, I work in finance and, and I've got all these columns in and I'm sure it serves one company. What do you think? Actually, God, how, how do I believe that you could multiply what I do? I'm involved in health work and, and, and I can think about just this. Actually, who knows what God could do through you? I mean, to me, this is the amazing thing. I mean, we're just literally starting this. We're going to be looking at it for the next eight weeks. And I just think, wow, what could open up because of what God could do through us?